God, we, we come before you. We thank you. We thank you that there is there is no one like you. You have done so much. And you continue to do so much. And you continue to show us grace and show us mercy, show us compassion. And it's because of your son and his righteousness and, and his life and death and resurrection. We wouldn't be here with, without that, Father. We wouldn't have the privilege of, of studying your word without his sacrifice on our behalf. And we are blessed to, to be able to be in a nation where we can do this openly without any repercussions, without any concerns for the government or militant groups to come in and, and take us away. So even thinking about that, Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world that are part of the underground church that continue to praise you in the midst of trial and tribulation, in the midst of losing their own lives. But like Paul, they, they counted all joy when they suffer afflictions just as Christ suffered on our behalf. So that your gospel, your good news, can be spread. So that people can have eternal life. To know what that is. So Father, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that your spirit would be with us. Open our eyes this morning and open our ears to hear your words. Let them not be our own, but let them come from you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we are going to continue our look at Second Peter. Uh, and if you uh, were not here the past two weeks uh, that we've been looking at Second uh, Peter, it's his epistle, uh, a letter to the churches in Asia Minor, reminding them of their life in Christ, reminding them of who they are in Christ, reminding them of even their responsibility as a Christian, as a person who has the righteousness of Christ applied to their life, what that means for them, what it means to know God the Father through the Son. And so we spent a great deal of time on, on the passage in verse 3 talking about it's His divine power, it's God's divine power that has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. And we looked at all of this is for God. It's for His glory, for His honor. And He is due that because of who He is, because of His majesty. And so Peter is telling his readers of, of their part, of not just being uh, those who know the truth, who have uh, assented to it, who have said, yes, I agree with that. Yes, Christ's righteousness is applied to my life, and that's it. But he is saying that there's more 
to your faith than just belief. That when you know God, it changes you. And so it comes out through your actions. It comes out through the life that we live. And so he tells them and reminds them that because of what God has done for them, because of who he is, because of his divine power, that uh, through Christ that we have escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, that we should supplement faith with these qualities. And so we went through these. We went through uh, faith with virtue in verse 5, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. We went through all of those qualities, and we talked about each one of them individually and what they mean, and we looked at other portions of Scripture that uh, illuminate what Peter is getting at. And he said that these qualities are yours and are increasing. If you have that, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. And we said that for a Christian, our lives, we want to be uh, having fruit or making fruit. Not being unfruitful, not being one who is not doing anything with the knowledge that we have, with the blessing of God, with the righteousness of Christ applied to our lives. We want to be effective, not ineffective. Fruitful, not unfruitful. And he said, if you lack these qualities, they are some, that person is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Completely forgetting what Christ has done. And so he said, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. If you practice these things in your life, you will not fall. You will have victory in your life for the things, over the struggles, over the trials that you are dealing with. And he says, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he is writing these things to these churches because he wants to remind them of this. He wants to keep this in the forefront of their minds so that they will never forget. He knows that his time is coming to an end. He's about to be executed very soon. His time on this earth is almost up. And so after he is gone, he wants to make sure that the people can go back and reread these things and recall these things at any time. And so we get into uh, the new portion this morning, starting in verse 16. So Peter has just gotten done doing all of this, reminding them of all these things, telling them why he has written this letter, why he wants to remind them of these things. And then he says this in 16 of 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we... For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place 
until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This morning we're going to look at this verse by verse, bit by bit, digging into exactly what Peter is getting at. And we're going to be looking at other scriptures as well. We noticed uh, as the, the weeks are going, uh, as I continue to preach on God's word, I like to look at other portions of how scripture illuminates scripture. Of how we can gain understanding of how the Bible is one cohesive unit. That all of it is together. That it is not saying one thing here and another thing here, but it is saying the same thing throughout the entire Bible, whether it's the Old Testament into the New Testament. It's the same God over all of it, and He is revealing Himself throughout all of it. And the number one thing that He reveals to us through His Word is His Son, Jesus, and what He has done. And so Peter begins this portion telling them, that we have not followed cleverly devised myths. That we haven't come before you trying to gain you over to our understanding or to our level of philosophy or our level of understanding with these myths, with these fables, with these stories that have no ground or no, no basis, that are just good feel stories that make us feel better. It's not like the rest of the world. What Peter is getting at is he is talking about the truth. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in the beginning, how did, how did Peter even address them? So if you... Uh, even turn back to 1 Peter. It's his first epistle to the same churches, to the same people. So if you turn back to 1 Peter chapter 1, you see exactly how he first opened his letter to them, talking to them about who Jesus was. So we turn back to 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. After the initial greeting, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He begins simply enough by telling them of, of God the Father and of Jesus and what He has done and what He continues to do, of His great mercy, of that He is the one who has caused us to be born again. It's not something that is from ourselves. It's not something from within, but it's from without. It's God first acting towards us and upon us, giving us His Spirit, making us alive, 
born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is because of Christ's sacrifice. And that because of that, we have an inheritance. Because of that, it means we're adopted into God's family. And we have the same inheritance that Jesus has, and it's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. He's not telling them a myth here. He's not making up things for them to think, oh, this is great, this is what I want. He's saying this is a living hope, and it's guarded by God's power through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And he tells them, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Unlike Peter, who walked with Jesus, who saw him, who marveled, even as he said, we saw his majesty. You have not seen him, yet you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is how Peter begins this his speech to them, his, his letter, his desire to make them aware of their calling, of who they are in Christ. And so he hasn't followed some cleverly devised myth to try to trick them, to try to uh, get them to be a part of some cult or some weird organization, but he is saying this is, this is the truth, this is the word of God. And you need to trust in this. And it's based on the power and the coming of Jesus. And he says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Paul would say the, the same thing to others as well. To the Corinthian church. He would tell them. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 17, he tells them this. He said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. It's not as if I can construct a sentence, a paragraph, a sermon in a certain way that's going to just win you over, as if this is a debate, as if I am debating one side, you are debating on the other side, and we're going to see at the end who is right and who is wrong. But what we are starting off with, this is the truth. There is no other. And so Paul would tell his readers of the Corinthian church, not with eloquent wisdom did I come to you. And he could have. Paul was a very wise man, intelligent man, versed in the scriptures. But he didn't want to do anything that would conflict with the, the greatness of who God was, embodied in Christ. Sometimes when you explain the gospel to people, when you share the good news, when you share the truth with somebody, they just look at you with a blank stare. With, what are you talking about? 
why would I ever believe that? Or why would I, you know, trust trust the scriptures? Why should I even put my faith in this? It's just it's an old book written by dead men. No concern for the truth that is contained within it. And and there's a reason because all of us were in that position prior to God acting upon us. Prior to God coming to us as as Peter mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 1. And Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And you're going to come across that. You're going to come across that when you share the gospel, when you share the good news, when you share your faith, when you're doing these things that Peter has mentioned of adding self-control, virtue, knowledge, adding all these things, godliness to your life. You're going to interact with people and they're going to wonder why you're doing the things you're doing. And if you share your faith with them, they're just going to look at you and think you're crazy because it's folly. In Isaiah 29, 14, the prophet would write this. It says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. That is God. Paul would go on in 1 Corinthians, verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God's truth, even though sometimes it doesn't make sense to people, it's still true. Just because we don't believe in the things of Scripture, other people don't believe in the things of Scripture, doesn't change who God is. God remains despite our notions of who He is. But He has revealed Himself through the Scriptures, and that is the point that Peter is trying to make. That when he made known the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, he was sharing with them knowledge that he was given from Jesus during the ministry that he got to walk with him in those three years. And even in the eyewitness account of His Majesty, He says in verse 17, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. What is he talking about? What event is he referring to? He's referring to the point in time when Jesus would take the inner three, his most closest disciples. Peter and James, and John. So if you look at Matthew, if you turn to Matthew chapter 17, we'll look at this account, what Peter is actually saying, the eyewitness account. 
Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 1. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. So Peter is referring back to this point, and now, obviously, Christ has risen. He has gone. They have been given the, the Holy Spirit to be their comforter, to be their guide, to be with them. And Peter is relating this information. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. As Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, he was shown in his glory. And they were able to witness this. And Peter and James and John at the time didn't understand what was going on as Peter mentioned, let's, let's make a tent for you, for Elijah, for Moses. Well, that wasn't the point. Now looking back, Peter understands more fully what was going on. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and Peter and James and John got to be witnesses of this and to hear the voice of God say, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We heard this very voice born from heaven where we were with him on the holy mountain. We got to be witnesses of that. One other time in Scripture, those words might be familiar, uh, to hear the voice of God come forth and declare, this is my Son, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Think back to the baptism of Jesus. When John baptizes Him, the same thing, the dove symbolizing the Spirit descending upon Him. The clouds opening up and hearing those words. And again, Peter is relating this information to them. We were eyewitnesses of this. We were there. We stood there. We saw this. And yet this is what we ha I have to say about it. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. What is he referring to? What Peter is saying is, 
we were eyewitnesses of that and how majestic and glorious that was. But here you have the word of God. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. He is saying the prophetic word, though we saw this more fully confirmed, more fully confirmed in our lives, it just goes to show you the power and presence of God throughout the Scriptures. From the Old Testament to them writing the New Testament. That is, they looked back and they would read the stories in the Old Testament of what God has done. We have seen the fulfillment of that in Christ. You guys have heard the fulfillment of that in Christ. And so he tells them, you will do well to pay attention to the instructions in it as to a lamp shining in a dark place, much like Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That as, as Peter related to them, you have been taken out of the corruption of the world and its sinful desire, and you have been placed to be a servant of Christ. You now have the light of the gospel, the light of the truth in your lives. And it is found in the scriptures that you should use this to illuminate your path, to know how to walk, to know how to please God. To be like David when he would say that, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In Psalm 119, it's in verses 105 through 112. He says, I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. What is that life? He's looking forward to the life found in Christ of what was to be accomplished by him. He says, accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. It's much the same thing that Peter had said to them concerning adding the things to God's word, that if you are doing these things, if you have them, these qualities and are increasing, you will be effective. You will be fruitful. You will not fall. That is what David is saying in his psalm as well. Living a life for God, following his statutes, following his commands, following in his footsteps lead to life, and they keep you safe, even though he was severely afflicted, even though he had people who wanted him to be killed. He knew the power of God's word and who it was founded on. That God's word is, is true, will come to pass, that it it's not something that's fleeting. It's not like our word where we say one thing, do another. But God, in his word, if he says it, it's going to happen. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9, says this about the law of the Lord. It is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, 
making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. That is the light of God's word shining in the dark place. And Peter says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What is he getting at? The morning star is a, another name for Christ. It's referred to in Revelation. In the book of Revelation, chapter 22, it says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Peter is telling his hearers that until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, until that day comes, pay attention to the word of God, that it will illuminate your path. He's talking about the second coming of Christ. We know that Christ has come. He lived his life. He died, but he was not to be forgotten, that he himself made himself alive again, resurrected from the dead. He was preaching to people. He revealed himself to the disciples. Then he revealed himself to 500 more witnesses before ascending into the heavens. And he had told them that one day he will return. The word of God tells us that, that there will be another coming where he will come as king. So Peter is telling to him, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He's talking about the hope. The things that Jesus was saying to John in Revelation is, is found earlier in the same chapter, Revelation 22. It says this, And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and light, and sorry, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. The light of the word of Scripture gives us a light to pierce through the darkness that we live in so that we can walk a path pleasing to God. And yet he says the day will come when we see Christ again, when we are taken up into heaven where we won't have need of any other lights because Christ himself is the light. That there will be no dark places. That there is no hiding. There is no more sin. He is all the light that we need. 
So Peter reminds his audience of this, reminds them of the power of God, reminds them of Christ, reminds them that this isn't some myth. This isn't some grand vision that we have had that everybody is just believing will never come to pass, but this is the truth of God's word. And as we have seen it confirmed, you can bank on it that the other promises, the other prophecies that are mentioned that have yet to be fulfilled will be fulfilled. And so he reminds them, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. That this isn't about somebody just having a whim. Oh, I think this is from God. This is from God saying it. And that is what we have in front of us. No, he is saying the prophecy that we have, the scriptures that we have, aren't from someone's own interpretation, but it's the prophecy produced by the Spirit working through men. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I've heard this many times talking about the scriptures found in 1 Timothy chapter 3 starting in verse 16 and 17, that all Scripture is breathed out by God. Breathed out by God. Talking about the Holy Spirit as well. The wind. Another term for the Spirit. That's, this is men being born, carried along by the Spirit, so that all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul would say, sorry, Peter would say earlier to them in, in, in the beginning that the prophecies, the prophets that came before, those that were giving the prophecy of Christ to come, of what would happen, that as we read the Old Testament, as we see Jesus fulfilling them, as we see that He was the one who knew no sin, who became sin for us, that by his wounds we are healed. The one who would step on the serpent's head, even going back to the beginning of Genesis, that there would be a man born, and yet Satan would bruise his heel, but he would crush the serpent's head. It's talking about Jesus. That although... Satan thought he had won at the cross of him dying. We know that Christ conquered him, conquered death by being raised from the dead. So Peter would tell them in the beginning of his first epistle of that concerning this salvation. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when the predicted when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the holy spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look he's He's bringing this in for them more fully, as he explained in the first epistle. That the, the prophets of old, the prophecies of Christ, the things that were fulfilled, we have seen. 
we have been a part of. And now, by the same Spirit that has carried those men away, has been given to us, and we are speaking these things to you, so that you may know the truth, and you may follow in it. Paul would tell the Galatians much the same thing, that it's not prophecy isn't by man's own interpretation. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. This isn't something that somebody just one day said, I think this is a good idea. Let's just start this rumor, see where it goes, see how far we can take it. It'll be a good laugh. This isn't man's idea of a joke, but this is the truth. This is the gospel. I did not receive it from any man, he told them, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ, talking about his Damascus Road conversion, seeing Christ. Paul being one that did not have the opportunity to walk with Jesus, while he was on this earth. But through a revelation, Christ revealed himself to Paul. And he preaches the same gospel that Peter and the other disciples are preaching, not one of man's own device, but one that is born from the Spirit through them. So why is, why is Peter going through all of this? Why is Peter telling him all of this? Why is he reminding them of these things. Why is he going through this account with them? And he goes through all of that to say, be on your guard. Be on your guard. If you look back at Second Peter, now in chapter 2, he says this, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not steep. He goes through all of this as a reminder in the beginning in chapter 1 to remind them of who they are in Christ, remind them of the gospel that we preach to you, why we have done the things that we have done, why you can believe in these things, why you need to be focused on these things and be reminded of these things is because there are going to be people among you, just as it was in the Old Testament, just as they had false prophets that would arise, that would come, that would teach heresy, you will have the same thing. This is nothing new. It's the same for us today. Just as they are dealing with it in the first century, we are dealing with it today, where there are people who think that this job of being this shepherding of a church is a way of gain for them, of ill-gotten gain. 
of fleecing the flock. And so Peter is warning them of these things. But false prophets also rose among the people. If we look at just that, of false prophets of old, he's talking about the Old Testament, looking back. It's not nothing new. This is something that they have dealt with. And there were laws and regulations in place so that the people of God would know if the prophet was true or not true. And what are the consequences of that? And so in Deuteronomy, chapter 13, Deuteronomy chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Moses would be speaking to the people. He's giving them laws and regulations, statutes, various things. And he tells them in verse 1 of chapter 13 of Deuteronomy, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams. It's interesting. We've seen one of the things of Christ's ministry was to do miracles and do wonders, to do signs. If you remember back in the, even in the Old Testament of Moses going through Pharaoh, what did God give him as a way of showing Pharaoh the power was to do signs and wonders, throw the staff down and became a snake. Well, Pharaoh's wise men would recreate it, much like a magician, sleight of hand, trying to replicate the same thing. And so signs and wonders are one thing. And they do attest to Christ, but they do not attest to Christ if that prophet is then saying there's this other God and we should serve him. There's this other thing you should be doing that is in contradiction to what the word of God has told them before. So Moses reminds them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet. And he says, why? For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul. It's to see, are you on guard? Are you believing in the truth? Or are you just following along with the crowd? And so when something else comes along, you think, wow, that's amazing. Let's, let's just walk after that. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And they would identify a false prophet. You put the false prophet to death. You don't let him spread his lies, his heresy, his evil. 
Later on in Deuteronomy 18, again inquiring about prophets. Moses was going to be passing on, and there would be another that would take his place, and we know that to be Joshua. But prior to that knowledge, he would tell them that another prophet was going to be raised up from among them, and that God would speak through him, and so you would need to listen to him. After Moses is gone, you will be listening to him. <clears throat> And so in Deuteronomy 18, verse 20, it says this, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, How may we know that the word of the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So now we have two different things. We have one, the prophet who prophesies. His prophecy does not come true. He's a false prophet. Kill him. Then you also have the other thing where you do have a prophet. His prophecy does come true, yet now he's saying there's this other guy. Let's follow him. He too is a false prophet. Do not follow him. False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Peter warns them to be on their guard. It's a, the same thing. For us, as I said, this isn't new. It's something that we deal with, something that you hear from various parts, whether it's even ministers on TV, people in the community. You need to know what the truth is in order to spot the lie. You need to be on your guard. We can trust the word of God because it's not by the will of man. It's not by his own interpretation, but it's from the scriptures. All It's from a spirit carrying them along that as you read the Old Testament, you can see all the different prophecies, and then you can go side by side and see how Christ has fulfilled those prophecies. And you can see the, the truth that is contained within them. And that would be a good exercise to do, to look at the, the what Scripture has to say. And next week we'll get into more of uh, false prophets, of spotting false prophets, of what Peter is telling them is going to happen to them. Um, and we'll look at uh, one other instance of false prophets in the Old Testament and a few that were even in the New Testament that they had to struggle with, that Peter was going up against, that Paul was going up against. And how do you handle these things? As you go today and you think about these things, 
the thing that I want you to that take away is that the, the word of God that you have is right, is true, is perfect. Just as Psalm 19 says, the law is pure, it is righteous. And it's based on Christ's life, reminding, just as Peter reminded the readers of uh, the churches in Asia Minor, these things, it's a reminder to us. Again, you can take this to the bank. You can take the word of God to the bank. You can know that what it says will come to pass. But at the same time, don't take for granted the word and just think, I can get by. Because you may be like some who are won over by cleverly devised myths. And our desire is that that would not happen. That we would be, as Peter says, adding to our faith knowledge. And with that knowledge, self-control. And with that self-control, godliness. So that when these things come to pass, when the time of testing comes to pass, we can get by... And at the end of our time, hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, knowing that we weren't tossed to and fro like the waves would toss a boat, but that we stood firm on the foundation of Christ and have not wavered. Let us pray. Dear Holy Father, we thank you today for your word and thank you for the life that you give us. The life that you have given us here and now and the life to come. The living hope that we have. The glory yet to be revealed. Being saved from the very presence of sin in our lives. Oh, what a glorious day that will be when we will be brought into your kingdom and into your light where there is no darkness, where there is no pain, there is no suffering. And until that day comes, Father, I pray that you would strengthen us as Peter is trying to strengthen his readers and give them knowledge. Father, help us to be on our guard, to root out the things that are opposed to you to continually walk in your ways become more like your son to have the qualities of Christ and that they would be increasing in our life to be an effective minister of the gospel in our words in our actions in our everyday lives so that people will see and know the glory of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.